This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcast every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 on KUCI, 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Unlike members of the Bush administration, Scott Ritter actually has military experience and a history of inspecting for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Ritter was one of the senior members of the U.N. weapons inspectors in the 1990s, a Marine and an advisor to General Schwarzkopf in the first Gulf War. In his new book, Iraq Confidential, the untold story of the intelligence conspiracy to undermine the U.N. and overthrow Saddam Hussein, Ritter reveals that Washington was only interested in disarmament as a tool for its own agenda. Operating in a fog of espionage and counter-espionage, Ritter and his U.N. team were determined to find out the truth about Iraq's WMD. The CIA were equally determined to stop them. The truth, as we now know, was that Iraq was playing a deadly game of double bluff and actually had no weapons of mass destruction. But to have revealed this would have derailed America's drive for regime change. Scott Ritter, welcome to Weekly Signals. Uh, thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Is everything okay. everything doing well for you? Oh, yeah. No, everything's fine. Thanks. Okay. How's, how's the book going, too? How are the, how are the sales? My understanding is uh, very well. I don't track the exact numbers, but uh, Nation Books uh, told me that uh, it's their best-selling uh, book at the moment, and uh, they're in, like, the fifth printing. So Excellent. I guess that's all pretty good. All right. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank now, you. Now, we talked to you before. It was December of 2003. Saddam Hussein was captured that week. And since then, over 2,000 U.S. soldiers have died. Tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Iraqis have been killed. The Middle East has become more destabilized. And by the CIA's own admission, there are more foreign fighters and terrorists trained to carry out further attacks against the U.S. Has anything that's happened in Iraq over those last two years taken you by surprise? Or is this... Is this pretty much the course that you thought we were stepping into? Well, tragically, it's it was all, uh, at least in my opinion, eminently predictable um, and was indeed predicted uh, by me. Um, you know, it, we we continue to labor under the, the false pretense that uh, somehow we're doing something noble and constructive in Iraq. I keep trying to remind people that... Uh, before you start taking a look at the structure that somebody's trying to build, you have to first evaluate the foundation it's being built upon. Mm. And uh, when it comes to Iraq, uh, we couldn't have a more corrupt foundation. We went to war on a lie. We went to war in violation of international law. We went to war ill-prepared for post-conflict uh, issues. And uh, the, the end result is an unmitigated disaster that continues to unfold before us. Now, what do you believe that the motives... Were, uh, for invading were, if in fact Iraq, Iraq did not pose a threat to its neighbors and the rest of the world with weapons of mass destruction? There is a group of people uh, in the Bush administration, um, however you want to characterize them, neoconservatives, uh, whatever, uh, you know, who have a specific ideology. And, and these ideologues uh, believe that since the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, in the early 1990s, uh, the United States uh, has a, a mission, a requirement, to fill the vacuum that was created with the demise of the Soviet Union to ensure that the United States of America 
is the unilateral power on the entire earth. Um, you know, we first saw, got a whiff of this in uh, 1992 when uh, Paul Wolfowitz and Scooter Libby drafted a, um, you know, a Defense Department uh, vision statement uh, under the auspices of uh, Dick Cheney, who at that time was the Secretary of Defense. Uh, we, we saw it later in 1997 when uh, these ideologues who were cast out in the 1992 election, uh, Bill Clinton came in, uh, these ideologues came together in a, in a group called the Project for a New American Century and put forward their own vision statement on how they thought the United States should be operating. Um, and by this time, they had latched onto the issue of Iraq as sort of the, uh, the, the, the premier case study for uh, how they would implement this policy of global domination. It, it dealt with the United States identifying areas of the world that represented our vital national strategic interests. Uh, it put forward the notion that the United States could act uh, unilaterally, uh, preemptively, militarily, uh, to deal with issues that arose in these areas of interest. And it postulated that Saddam Hussein's Iraq was a rogue regime, a failed state in a critical area of the world, and had to be dealt with, had to be removed from power. Um, and, and so when the Bush administration came into office in, in 2000, uh, you know, this was their line of thinking, or 2001, this was their line of thinking. September 11th gave them the ability to act on this line of thinking, and, and we see in September of 2002 a national security strategy passed by the Bush administration, which is almost word for word a, a, a repeat of this Project for a New American Century vision statement of 1997 and the Wolfowitz um, Defense Department uh, doctrine paper in uh, 1992. Um, Iraq is the, the vehicle of implementation. This is what was going on. This is about domestic American politics. This is about a handful of neoconservative ideologues who have a vision on how the United States should dominate the world, and Iraq was, you know, the 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 kickoff for this uh, for this global game that they're playing. Iraq had nothing to do with legitimate national security interests as we traditionally define it. If we embrace the neoconservative ideology that America has been anointed by a higher power to dominate the globe then perhaps someone can say that there is a link between the national security interests of the United States um, and Iraq, but only if you define the national security interests of the United States uh, being related to this, this, this vision of a new American empire. If you believe, as I do, that the United States is, a, you know, is one nation among many who populate this globe, and yes, we do have you know, vital national interests, but we should strive to peacefully coexist with our neighbors. And uh, when sovereign states do not pose a direct threat to us, but are operating in a manner which we find distasteful, we should embrace multilateral diplomacy through the vehicle of the United Nations and other organizations as a method of dealing with this. Uh, the Bush administration has, has deviated from that course and, uh, and, and went into Iraq. But Again, I believe it's more about pushing a, a particular brand of ideology on the American people that it's founded in domestic American politics, and it has nothing whatsoever to do with legitimate national security interests. I want to remind our listeners that we're speaking with Scott Ritter and the author of a new book, Iraq Confidential, The Untold Story of the Intelligence Conspiracy to Undermine the U.N. 
and overthrow Sodom, saying, and uh, I mean, th- what you just described, the, the subtext for that is, is that, and the story that's really not been told is how a very small but dedicated group of people has essentially hijacked the American government. And it, if nothing else, putting aside the policy disasters that they've implemented, this is a story of, of really of of how uh, of how did they do this? How did this small but dedicated group of people essentially take over and and uh, run the United States into the ground in Iraq here? And uh, I think that's something for uh, for us to, uh, certainly an object lesson that we should all be be uh, watchful of. Well, we need to be careful in 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 putting. Yeah, I'm not here to be an apologist for the Bush administration. As yeah. I think my record shows, yeah. I'm, I'm a very harsh critic of him. But um, we, we we can't just forget about eight years of Clinton presidency. Well, that's true. Um, the Bush administration inherited from the Clinton presidency a failed Iraq policy that was centered on the notion of containing Saddam Hussein through the continuation of economic sanctions, using weapons inspections as a vehicle to facilitate this containment, and regime change. Uh, You know, the Clinton administration signed into law uh, public policy uh, in 1998 called the Iraq Liberation Act, which said it's the policy of the United States to overthrow Saddam Hussein. So, you know, again, the the Bush administration took it to another level, but we we can't forget that, you know, when we ask, how did this come to be? Uh, for eight years, the American people had bought into this notion of of, of, a evil Saddam, of a dangerous Saddam. So it was very easy for the Bush administration to continue to push that button. Yeah, well, and also, but you do describe how early on, and I agree with you, the, the Clinton administration, the, the, uh, the uh, continuing of the sanctions, the hundreds of thousands of innocent Iraqis who perished during that time is, is, a, is a crime. Uh, and, and, uh, but you did describe uh, at some point how early in the, in the uh, Clinton administration there were overtures to try and work something out, but that the domestic political outcry was such to such a degree that the Clintons essentially turned and ran from that. Right. I mean, in, in fairness, again, to the Clinton administration, of which I'm, I'm not an apologist for them, Right. they inherited from the first Bush administration exactly. a policy of sanctions-based containment and regime change. Right. It's a policy that the, the Clinton um, administration recognized as uh, unsustainable and therefore um, worthy of re-examination. Um, but again, to, to talk about yeah. Iraq, we need to understand that the, the roots of our Iraq problem are here in America at home. This is a domestic political problem that dates back to October 1990, when the first President Bush uh, likened Saddam Hussein to Adolf Hitler and demanded Nuremberg-like retribution. When you set that bar, that standard, right. uh, you've eliminated diplomacy as a potential tool to resolve the situation, because how do you negotiate with evil? How do you negotiate with a Hitler-like figure? Clinton recognized that the policy was was bad, that the best thing to do was to find a way to lift sanctions and bring Iraq back into the family of nations, even if they meant Saddam Hussein was still at the helm. But because Saddam had been characterized to the American people, to the Congress of the United States, as a Hitler-like figure, um, many politicians were... Uh, hesitant or even outright hostile to the notion of uh, the Clinton administration reaching out. And I think a sound case can be made for uh, the neoconservatives within the first Bush administration undermining the Clinton administration's uh, potential 
to uh, alter American policy vis-a-vis Iraq before Clinton even came into power. Uh, what we see on the last days of the Bush administration is an escalation of violence that uh, manifested itself in a major outbreak of bombing uh, the day Clinton was sworn into office. This meant that uh, you know Clinton came in not with uh, you know a venue of hope, uh, but uh, with a cloud of conflict. And then it even got worse um, with the allegations about Iraqi attempts to assassinate the first President Bush uh, in, in the spring of 1993. Um, I think it's been shown that these allegations were false. There was no assassination attempt, but that's irrelevant to, uh, at that time because it was believed there was, and Clinton launched cruise missiles against Iraq sealing the deal, meaning that once you act on false information, you create the perception that that information was accurate. And now there's no way the Clinton administration could move forward with Iraq once they had committed to the notion that Saddam Hussein had attempted to take the life of a former U.S. president. That, that's new information to me. I knew about the allegations of the attempt to assassinate uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, but I did not know that they had been proven to be inaccurate. The FBI has done an extensive uh, uh, investigation into oh. the testimony provided by the, uh, the, the, Iraqi, the so-called Iraqi uh, assassins, uh, who turned out to be smugglers captured by Kuwait. Uh, their confessions were coerced through torture. Um, and furthermore, now that we've occupied Iraq, we've captured the office and the personnel that we alleged to be responsible and found no evidence of this. Indeed, the, the people who we said were responsible for the assassination have told U.S. Uh, interrogators that there was never an assassination attempt. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's quite clear that uh, this was a cooked-up uh, event by the Kuwaiti government with some American help. I, I want, we've, got, we've got a lot of ground to cover here. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Scott Ritter, former U.N. weapons inspector and author of a new book, uh, Iraq Confidential. Um, where where are we at right now in terms of uh, the progress of the war in Iraq, and how are we going to extricate ourselves from them, from this? In this, how do you see this playing out? Well, I'm not here to plug other people's books, but an interesting book has just come out, uh, written by Paul Bremer, the uh, former head of the uh, Coalition Provisional Authority, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. One theme that comes uh, that that's played throughout his book is how. The Department of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld and his minions, uh, continually tried to create uh, an artificiality, this false reality, this artificial universe of security, where they could say, voila, we have an Iraqi army, voila, we have Iraqi security forces, it's time to withdraw certain portion of American troops. Uh, they were never operating uh, you know, based upon the facts, based upon reality. They were just trying to cook the numbers. Um, and the reason why I bring that up is that the Pentagon hasn't changed its its attitude. Today, we we take a look at a confusing series of facts that keep coming out of Iraq. We're told by the Bush administration repeatedly how the security situation is improving, how we continue to be training more Iraqis, etc. But the, the the rhetoric is never matched by the reality. The reality is. There is no Iraqi army. There are a series of militias that have been cobbled together whose loyalties are to either to you know, Kurdish tribes, uh, Shia theocrats, or uh, you know, Sunni uh, insurgents. Uh, and there is no unified army, which means 
that you know we keep hearing the Bush administration say American troops will come home when the Iraqi security forces are capable of fighting for Iraq. Uh, the Iraqi security forces are never going to be capable of fighting for Iraq, which means we're never getting out of Iraq, and we don't have a plan to win in Iraq. Uh, I don't think we can win in Iraq, but even if that was a distinct or you know a remote possibility, we don't have a plan for it. Our plan right now is basically to tread water until we can create this artificial notion of Iraqi security that allows us to uh, start drawing down our troops. It's, it's a go-nowhere policy, and this is where we are today. Uh, we, we have an Iraqi government that isn't a government. Uh, we have an Iraqi security force that isn't a security force, and we have an American occupation that's getting more and more bogged down. Uh, we just lost seven more Americans uh, yesterday. You know, it's, it's, it's a never-ending problem. Well, I and, and another confusing fact, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, the United States is currently building, my understanding is four or five significant military installations, significantly large military installations near the uh, oil fields, uh, and the speculation is that we're going to be there a long time in order to protect the asset that we came there to get. Is that well, we're, we're, we're not leaving Iraq. Yeah. I mean, anybody who thinks, you know, yeah. when we talk about a withdrawal, uh, in the Bush administration, they aren't speaking of withdrawing. They're just speaking of reducing the numbers down from you know the current level of what 138, 141,000 down to what will be the permanent occupation force of Iraq, which is between 80 and 90,000. So, so, and and that, that's something that you never hear the the Bush administration open. Well, they they can't talk about it because the Iraqi government doesn't want this permanent force. I mean, you know, here, here's the other thing that no one ever talks about, which is the uh, transitional legal authority, yeah. uh, the transitional law that Paul Bremer signed into effect uh, the day before he left. Um, all this stuff that's taking place with an Iraqi constitution, Iraqi elections, and all this stuff is, is, is a fraud, because at the end of the day, the, the transitional law gives total power to the United States of America. Iraq is not a sovereign state. Okay. It supersedes their constitution, is what you're saying. Absolutely. It gives America extra constitutional powers and authority. Uh, you know, Iraq will never be a sovereign state. And doesn't it privatize many of the uh, pr previously uh, publicly owned... Uh... It sets the conditions for private privatization. But one of the interesting things is, um, you know, you can't speak of privatizing um, Iraq today because... No one wants you to know, invest. privatize implies that you have a, a sound and stable uh, yeah. economy. Uh, yeah. You don't have the conditions for privatization. You, you don't have the conditions for anything. Nothing is happening in Iraq. Their oil economy is shut down yeah. uh, by the insurgency. The, no one's investing in Iraq. It's an unmitigated disaster. Uh, let, we just have a few minutes. I'm speaking with Scott Ritter, uh, author of Iraq Confidential. Um, uh, and I, we, I need to get to uh, a little bit about Iran because – we're, apparently, we're going to be in Iraq for a long time. We're not going anywhere. Uh, there's a significant buildup of U.S. military installations around uh, around the Middle East, and now Iran is apparently being at least charged with uh, uh, building weapons of mass or putting together te the technology to produce weapons of mass destruction. Where are we going in Iran? Where do you see this headed? Again, the, the ideologues who gave us Iraq are, are doing their best to give us Iran as part of the national security strategy that was published in September 2002. The Middle East has been identified by the Bush administration as a region of uh, national uh, security interest. 
And uh, the Bush administration has identified Iran as being a nation that is a failed state, a rogue state, and uh, therefore regime change is required. And the Bush administration is moving aggressively to achieve regime change. And they're using, uh, again, a, a falsified charge um, of, of weapons of mass destruction development as the vehicle to achieve regime change. You know, there is no evidence whatsoever that Iran has a nuclear weapons program. Uh, in fact, the overwhelming amount of data collected by the International Atomic Energy Agency points to uh, total conformity on the part of Iran to the provisions of the Nonproliferation Treaty. Uh, but the United States, uh, and indeed Israel and uh, France, Germany and the UK, the so-called EU3, have created these extra conditions that are above and beyond the Nonproliferation Treaty that they say Iran must adhere to. So it's, you know, extra treaty. It's beyond the treaty. Mm -hmm. um, and the Iranians have, have agreed to some, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you, you have two policies at, at, at complete odds. The Iranians say, look, we'll agree to inspections of our development of a, a, a complete fuel cycle for a nuclear energy program. The United States and Europe are saying, um, you can't have the complete fuel cycle. So, you know, there's no middle ground here. And we have Condoleezza Rice saying that diplomacy is over. There's no more reason to talk to Iran. We have the president saying that, um, you know, this can't stand. We must move forward. And I, I think what we have here is an aggressive march to war that's being disguised as a diplomacy by the Bush administration in the same way that they disguised the march to war in Iraq uh, with false diplomacy. Honestly, it, it sounds, from what you just said, and I've, and I've obviously heard many of the same things, you just change a letter. From a Q to an N, and you've got exactly what was being said back in 2001 and 2002 about about Iran. And right, but the, the, the difference here is that uh, Iran is three times the size physically as Iraq. It has, you know, three or four times the population. Uh, its military wasn't destroyed in, in a war and then unable to rebuild after a decade of economic sanctions. Yeah. And it's, the, it's a functioning oil-based economy with serious... Uh, inroads into the global economy, um, Iran will not be Iraq. If, if the Bush administration is foolhardy enough to uh, initiate military-based confrontation with Iran, uh, this will not end well for anybody. Well, I have to ask you one sort of left-field question. In your mind, is there any, any credibility to, to what some people said was a reason we went into Iraq, which was the, the uh, decision to change their currency, their, their – uh, oil dollars into euros is there anything to any of those 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 kind of charges that the u.s when, when iraq decided to go with the uh, euro instead of the dollar that became another reason or the reason to go into iraq well I, I i don't i think the decision was made long before okay. that um the other thing is you know iraq never totally converted to the euro they did a uh they did a small percentage as a protest it ended up you know, it, it cost Iraq a lot because the Iraqi oil was not a significant player mm -hmm. on the global economy. Now, if Iran makes a decision to go to a euro standard, um, that can create a serious issue, especially if China, India, and Russia uh, go along with it. Venezuela jumps on board. Uh, now you've got a problem, and, it, and it's one that, um, you know, would would have a significant impact on the American economy and the global economy, um, which you could liken to economic warfare. 
Um, which and, is which is what the Iran has announced that they want to do. Well, you know, and you can't blame them because the United States is playing economic warfare by threatening economic sanctions. Yeah. So it's a it's a fascinating game, tra- which is going to have tragic results. All right. Well, I um, we're tragically we're out of time here, uh, and um, I want to once again remind our listeners that we've been speaking with Scott Ritter, a former UN weapons inspector and the author of a new book, The Untold Story of the Intelligence Conspiracy to undermine the U.N. and overthrow Saddam Hussein. I meant to say Iraq Confidential, and that's the subtitle that we just – you can go to – you have a website that we can go to, or they go to Nation Book. How do they get uh, more information about uh, – Well, I mean, it's, it, you can read about it on Amazon.com, Barnes okay. & Noble. Okay. Nation Books has a website. Uh, okay. And the British publisher um, uh, has a website, uh, IraqConfidential.com, and there's not only commentary on the book, but I believe – uh, there's like 23 photographs that are related to the the events of the book that are published online. And we can also go to weeklysignals.com. People familiar with the program go there, we, we, and it's linked. So, uh, Scott Ritter, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for coming back to Weekly Signals, and uh, uh, good luck to you on your travels. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Okay. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And this is Weekly Signals. Weekly Signals.